This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Apple Spring event just wrapped, and we got a lot of different products. So let's break down all the announcements. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. With me to talk about this is CNET's Apple expert, Ian Sharp. Welcome, Ian. Hi. So let's start with the newest addition to Apple's family of products, the Mac Studio. What is it? It's a really interesting device. It's kind of two Mac minis stacked on top of each other, um, but <laughs> right. it's supposedly much more powerful than if you were to just match those two up together. So um, what it is is a kind of Mac Pro type computer, right? It's designed for creators. Apple's really into the creator world. They've always been, but especially when you consider, you know, Final Cut Pro and Hollywood and all that stuff. Um, the Mac Studio is a $2,000 computer that is really designed to be one of its most powerful computers. And in this very small uh, size, right? The other thing about it that's interesting is it has a studio monitor that they're going to sell separately. Of course, it doesn't come along with um, right, that. Right. Co- right. That's $1,600 for the base price. But supposedly, again, that's actually a super high-end monitor, 27 inches, 5K retina display. It actually has an iPhone chip inside of it to control (laughs) the camera and the microphones and the speakers and everything and kind of give it that experience. So I'm really curious to see what it turns into, but it, it kind of underscores how Apple is pushing forward with trying to get Intel out of all of its devices and also show what it's able to do with the chips that it makes itself. Yeah, this is a good point. And you mentioned that this is really geared towards creators. I'm curious, given the high price for both the Studio Display and the Mac Studio, that seems to be the case. I mean, would you say like this is Apple enthusiasts, should they be looking at this or, or is this really for those top tier folks who are actually doing professional work? Yeah, one of the things I think about Apple is that they are very good at market segmentation. They understand that, you know, certain people are going to buy certain computers and they understand price bands really well. You know, a lot of us kind of grouse at the prices that Apple charges and there's plenty of memes all over the world about them. But the reality is they understand their customers really well. And that's part of why they become the world's most valuable tech company. When it comes to this computer, it is not something that you're just surfing the web with, right? And in fact, uh, one of the things I found interesting is that it's it's M1 chips, right? The the M1, the M1 Pro, the M1 Max, now the M1 Ultra. All of those are designed really only to benefit more when you need it for a certain application. So if you're just surfing the web, you are not going to get that much more out of their $2,000 computer as you do from their $600 computer. But if you're doing video editing or 3D modeling or all that stuff, it'll matter a ton. So if you're an enthusiast, right, and we're going to ignore gamers for a moment because gamers are really not part of the conversation here. Um, if If you're an enthusiast who just 
likes having Apple products, then other than, you know, driving the Porsche down the street at 20 miles an hour, there's no reason to buy the Mac Studio for yourself, right? At the same time, I think it's going to be interesting to see who ends up glomming onto this thing and where they find interest in it, because this is a very powerful machine, at least on paper. We haven't we haven't reviewed it yet at CNET, but it's a it, it seems like it really is trying to go for that high end. And by the way, for a cheaper price than the Mac Pro. Right. And speaking of the Mac Pro, uh, you know, when they went through the presentation, they it seemed like they were almost stomping over the Mac Pro because they kept talking about how the Mac Studio outperforms all of its Macs and, and the Mac Pro being one of them. They called out Mac Pro by name. But then they offered a little bit of a tease. Like, what? tell me about like whether or not the Mac Pro is dead or alive. Yeah, so let's first point out the Mac Studio at $2,000 is supposed to be something along the lines of 50 to more performant, percent performant than the Mac Pro, which is a $6,000 computer, right? So supposedly you are getting three times as much computer and a smaller footprint for a lower cost. That right there is some pretty good marketing for Apple to pull off. But I think what's also important is that Apple said, you know, we haven't forgotten the Mac Pro and we're going to talk about it another day, which, you know, they've got their big developer conference coming in June. So, you know, knock your head. Of course, that's when it's going to happen. But I think what it it says and what it signals is that if you thought that was impressive, just wait until we justify that $6,000 price tag <laughs> with whatever <laughs> we're going to show you next, right? Um, so they're, and, they're, they're not leaving money on the table. They're, oh, they no. are going to go after that, that <laughs> Apple, super, super high-end segment. Apple has never been accused of leaving money on the table. But I think what's, what's going to be interesting is the question of, can this new Mac Pro really step up that game. You know, one of the things Apple's products are not really well known for is their upgradability, right? Like they are they are really disposable products. You use them and look, I've got a MacBook Air sitting here from 2012. It's not like this is a disposable product like I'm going to toss it in a couple of years. It's a 10-year-old computer that still works. But the thing is that I can't upgrade the chips inside it. It's really hard to change a lot of the components. That's just part of life in Apple world. And so when it comes to these really expensive computers, I think the question will be, well, okay, the Mac Studio is like a Mac Mini. It's tiny. It's probably not very upgradable. All right, fine. What will the Mac Pro be like, right? Will I be able to switch out the graphics chips? Will I be able to upgrade in the future and whatever else? And I think those are questions that Apple is going to have to answer, even if most people don't buy it, right? Because just because of the politics of the tech industry these days and the conversation around right to repair and and environmentalism and, you know, planned obsolescence and all of these conversations we keep happening, Apple in a lot of ways needs to be able to point to at least one product on their on their website and say, no, this is the one that you can get if you really care about that stuff. Right. I want to get into the M1 Ultra, which you sort of talked about earlier. That is the, the new variant, the faster variant of their M1 processor. And, and, you know, they went into a rather lengthy description of what it is and why it's powerful. And frankly, I was lost on most of it. I'm just curious <laughs> if you can give a little bit of illumination to me and my listeners as to why the M1 Ultra is so powerful. Yeah, you've never been happier to have a former uh, Intel chip reporter standing in front of you here, right? <laughs> you know, exactly. I think, uh, I think what's interesting is that 
in a lot of ways, what the ultra is supposed to represent is proof to all of us that Apple isn't just making a bunch of laptop chips, right? When they first showed off the M1 two years ago uh, with the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, it was a really interesting chip, right? They, it was powerful. It was. It didn't need a fan for the entry-level version of it, which was, I've never met an Intel chip that didn't need a fan. And also, it was able to give battery life that even months and months later, the people who own these computers tell me they are shocked by how good the battery life is. So that's great. But when you think about, okay, well, how does Apple sell a range of computers? They need to be able to offer something that is truly performant, that's able to do what Apple computers are known for, right? The 3D modeling, the all of the coding and all that other stuff. And that is where that ultra chip comes from, is where really them being able to say, look, we're not just building a really battery efficient chip that's powerful. We're also building a chip that we can connect them together and multiply their capabilities together really well. And as a result, they say they're even doing better than a lot of the other people in the industry. Now, they don't say it directly, right? They're not saying we're trouncing Intel or anything like that. But the but the suggestions they made in all of that gobbledygook tech talk that they did during this presentation is that they're doing this better than a lot of the other people who've been building chips for decades. So th that's going to be really fascinating to watch because, again, even if Apple is half right on what they're saying, and by the way, it's worth noting, up until now, they've pretty much delivered and they've they've been able to pay every check they've written. So if this is really what they say it is, they are becoming one of the leading chip makers in the world overnight. And that is something really fascinating to watch. Definitely. And switching gears a bit to... I think something that, or product that I think more folks will realistically be able to buy, and that's the new iPhone SE. What's what's new about this phone? Yeah, so the biggest thing is 5G, right? And, and this is something that we talked about uh, earlier in the week, right? That the real conversation is that uh, we live in a world where the carriers, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, or anyone else around the world, they want us all to forget there was ever any other number out there. It's all 5G now. <laughs> right. And so the reality is that when I walk into one of their stores, none of their customer service agents are going to sell me anything that doesn't have a 5 on it. And now Apple has 5G across the board. Right, it's lowest cost iPhone, which is not the cheapest phone in the world. Right, it's still four hundred and twenty nine dollars, which is thirty dollars more than it was last year. But it's still, uh, you know, that phone is five G now, and so Apple is going to be able to be one of those companies that you know they are going to incentivize AT and T, Verizon, and T Mobile. All those people are going to have people coming in. I want to get a five G phone. Oh well, Apple sells a four hundred and twenty nine dollar one. Right. And that will be what's really important about it. The rest of it is, you know, it can take or miss. Right. It, it, it's got a lower quality screen than the iPhone 13. Who cares? Right. If you're buying a four hundred dollar phone, you know that. And if it, it doesn't have the face unlock again, I imagine that most of the people buying that don't really care that much. And that's part of it is that Apple's offering something for people who, as one analyst said to me, just want an iPhone. Right? Right. And they don't right. care what it does. And that that is where Apple probably has a pretty competitive compelling uh, offering here. Right. And it, it, it is noteworthy that they are adding the A15 Bionic chip to it, right? That is a relatively new processor into that phone. 
Yeah, I mean it's it's what six months old, I, and and right. the thing is that right. it's a chip that was that is in the iPhone 13. So if you go to the store when this comes out, right in March 18th, um, you will any iPhone you buy that's modern is running the exact same chip inside of it. The only thing you're deciding is what kind of screen you want, what kind of camera you want, and the design, right? If you want the screen to be larger. So that that's really it. And I think that that's, that makes it really simple for a lot of people who I imagine these days are coming into a carrier store. And especially imagine like, you know, if you buy a phone every three or four years at this point, you come into a carrier store and you're like, you've got all these numbers flying at you, millimeter, 5G, what the heck, what's going on? All these different versions of the iPhone sitting around. How do I make a decision? And it's a lot simpler, at least now, for Apple to be able to say, well, here's here's our lineup. It's very simple. Just choose the, the amount of money you want to spend. There you go. Uh, the other product that got a big refresh is the iPad Air, which hasn't been updated for two years. So what... What changes came the iPad's way, or iPad yeah. Air's way? The iPad Air, I think, is a really fascinating device. It was the first time that Apple offered uh, the fingerprint sensor into the lock button of an iPad. And it's something that actually a lot of people inside CNET keep asking, why don't they do that with the iPhone? And why don't they do that with the <laughs> iPad Pro? And all these, it's such a right. cool idea. Um, especially during the pandemic in the beginning when there wasn't an answer for face unlock with your mask. Everyone was like, why don't they do this? But anyway, so the iPad Air now has an M1 chip in it, right? So the same chip that was in that first uh, MacBook Air that Apple announced two years ago and in the iPad Pro, right, which was announced a year ago. Uh, this is a chip that supposedly is a desktop class chip and they're putting it into the iPad Air. Now they say that it means that it can be a real workhorse if you wanna do video editing, if you wanna do all these other things, playing games, whatnot. I'm curious because it's not the pro moniker, right? They're not trying to sell it to people to, you know, Lucasfilm to use on set at the next Star Wars or whatever. They're selling it primarily for people who just want an iPad and don't want to get the cheapest one that they sell. <laughs> and so when you consider that, it's actually really interesting to see them pushing this hard. And I, I will be curious to see how different uh, developers take advantage of it because that much more performance and power could offer better experiences on the apps and all that other stuff. And we don't see that immediately, but it, it could come to pass over time. And lastly, Apple TV Plus got a new feature. What is it? Yeah, MLB Baseball, uh, which is... is <laughs> which is poor timing. It, it's so funny. It's poor timing. Yeah, well, exactly, <laughs> right? With the, with the lockout, it's just like, oh my gosh. But yeah, you can't control that. I think what's interesting and what I will be watching for is that this is not really about baseball, right? This is the first time that Apple's doing live events with sports. And, you know, there are, there are a fair number of sports nuts in Apple's executive team. So I get it. Makes sense. And this could be dipping their toes for more stuff, right? You think about Sunday Ticket, you think about all these other things going on. And yeah, you know, start with Friday Night Baseball. I, I, it makes me think already Monday Night Football, right? It's right. the same branding. Right. Uh, it, it, it obviously, they see an opportunity with this stuff, but they have to prove themselves. And, and the truth is, 
producing live sports ain't easy. I mean, we have sent people at CNET to the Super Bowl uh, to show what broadcasting it is like. It takes a mountain of people and a ton of effort. It's not just pointing a camera at a field and saying go. And so for that, I think Apple needs to prove itself. But once it has, if it does, then maybe I imagine this is a stepping stone. Got it. And and just again, ultimately, what, what didn't we get? Is there anything that you were expecting to see that didn't make an appearance? You know, there were rumors that perhaps we would get a, a another upgrade to the iPad Pro. Uh, the other rumors out there were that the Mac Pro was going to get an, an upgrade. Obviously, Apple said, look, we haven't forgotten that computer. Just wait a little while. And also, you know, there are things that a lot of us are just wanting to hear about because we've been hearing rumors about them forever, right? That the, the AR VR glasses that we keep writing about all the time that Apple is supposedly working on, or even the Apple car or whatever else, right? All these things that keep sitting in the background ether, but don't show themselves. Those are the things we didn't get. But largely speaking, you know, Apple delivered on a lot of what the rumors were out there, which means, you know, the 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 expectations were set pretty accordingly. And I think at this point now, the real question will be, okay, what does that Mac Pro look like in the summer? And are these glasses gonna come out in the next year or so? And if so, when are they going to start talking about them? Because they haven't said a thing, <laughs> and they didn't even mention AR or VR during yeah. this uh, yeah. during this presentation, right? Normally, they take some opportunity to tell, well, it's got a lidar sensor on the back of it that'll help do more better AR and all that. None of that was there. So I think that'll be a really interesting thing to watch during the summer. Got it. Well, Ian, thank you for your time and for breaking down all the announcements. You can check out all of our Apple coverage on CNET.com. If you have any questions, ping me on Twitter at Roger W. Chang. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.